Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our online service here at City Church. My name's Jay. I'm the director of worship, and I'm going to begin our service reading from Psalm 107, the first nine verses. So listen to this call to worship as I read. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Let's pray together. O God, we admit we are often these wanderers, looking for a city to dwell in. We are often hungry and thirsty, and we admit nothing in this world satisfies our spiritual hunger. Nothing except you. So we begin admitting our mistaken pursuits. We confess we have been, many of us, working toward our own greatness, our own security, our own wellness, whatever it may be, in hopes that we'll be able to provide these things for ourselves. We've tried to replace you with us, our self-sufficiency, our self-determination, when that truly is a desert wasteland. So we need you, God. You alone can provide what we are truly looking for. So please, this morning, satisfy our longing souls and fill these hungry souls with good things as we sing to you and about you and as we hear your word preached to us. We pray all this in the all-satisfying name of Christ. Amen. sing together. You're the word of God, the Father, from before the world began. Every star and every planet has been fashioned by your hand. All creation holds together by the power of your voice. Let the skies declare your glory. Let the land and seas rejoice. You're the author of creation. You're the Lord of every man. And your cry of love rings out across the lands. Yet you left the gaze of angels, came to seek and save and Exchange the joy of heaven for the anguish of a cross. With a prayer you fed the hungry, with a word you stilled the sea. Yet how silently you suffered that the guilty may go free. You're the author of creation, you're the Lord of every your cry of love rings out across the lands. With a shout you rose victorious, wresting victory from the grave, and ascended into heaven, leading captives in your way. Now we stand before the From each tribe and tongue and nation, you are leading sinners home. You're the author of creation, you're the Lord of every man. 
and your cry of love rings out across the land. Sing that chorus again. You're the author of creation. You're the Lord of every man. And your cry of love rings out across the Once and for all it was done. Once and for all it was done. Because of the blood of the Lamb that was shed for humanity's rebellious heart. Sin was the sickness that pushed us away from your holiness. Rose from the depths of the grave, defeated the power of death that held on to humanity's rebellious heart. The cross was the healing that brought us into your holiness. We grace through faith in Christ we could try our best but fall short of your glory
Good morning, City Church family. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. We would love to pray for you this week. Consider filling out a connection card, citychurchgmv.com slash connection. You can also put all kinds of uh, indications there about interest in our church, uh, who we are, what we believe. We'll get back to you usually in a couple of days. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as a people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchgmv.com slash give, or you can come to an in-person service. Right now, we are meeting outside at First Magnitude at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. We'll keep doing that through the month of May, and then we plan to start uh, back in our sanctuary indoors at the beginning of June. Child, child uh, programming, kids programming is available during our 9 a.m. service at First Magnitude, and that will be the same when we go inside into our sanctuary as well. If you happen to make it to an outdoor service on the 16th, so that's next Sunday, we're having a coffee after each service, kind of a get-to-know-you coffee. So if you want to stick around uh, and meet the pastors, meet our staff, get to know us a little bit better, we would love to see you. So maybe, maybe that's your week to come out for the first time. Uh, if you haven't been able to do that yet on the 16th, and then stay after for a coffee, and you can chat with us, get to know us there. Um, we are doing a civic engagement class, which uh, launched this past Monday, and uh, it continues for the next three Mondays. So you still have plenty of opportunities to participate. The next one is, of course, tomorrow. That is, if you're watching on Sunday, it's tomorrow, um, May 10th. It's at 7 o'clock and goes to about 8.45 in our sanctuary. Scott Stinson on our staff is leading the session. It's on information. How do we engage information in in an era where we have a lot of information, too much information, we have misinformation. What does it mean as followers of Jesus to, to process information well uh, for the glory of God and for the good of the world? So I hope that we will see you there. Today is Mother's Day. I wanted to say a thank you uh, to moms, especially uh, initially to moms who have had kids in the home this past year. Incredibly challenging year. My goodness, a lot of kids have been doing school at home. Uh, m- many of the activities, at least for a while, were off the table that you would typically do. It's been hard. It's been stressful. It's been discouraging. Uh, know that God is very pleased with your faithfulness and that he's been with you and he's been at work. So thank you for your consistency. Uh, to those of you mothers who haven't been able to see your kids, maybe you're, you're older and your kids are adults now, we are very sorry. We grieve with you um, over the loss that you've experienced uh, as you haven't been able to see them, maybe not your grandkids. Um, we are hurting with you. This is part of a world that is not as it should be, um, and we're very sorry. For those of you whose uh, mothers maybe have passed away, either this year from COVID or something else, or in, in the past, we are grieving and hurting with you as well. And then finally, to those of you maybe who have aspired to be moms but haven't been able to be moms, we know that this day can be a very painful day. I would encourage you, followers of Jesus, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to express gratitude and appreciation also to uh, weep with those who are hurting today. We can do all those things in Christ Jesus, and so that would be a great use of your time to intentionally reach out to different people uh, and and rejoice and give thanks, or in some instances, to mourn and lament. I'm going to pray over um, moms right now, and um, I'm also going to pray over our James text, and then I'll read the text after that. So would you join me in a prayer uh, for Mother's Day, and then I'll pray for the reading of God's word as well. Lord, we do give you thanks for uh, putting moms in our church family, and uh, I am so grateful for the work that the mothers have done to shepherd children through this past year. Uh, It's been entirely difficult and frustrating and sad, but we thank you that they have been so faithful and that you have empowered them by your spirit to keep going, even in seasons. And there's been weeks and months this year when I know they didn't feel like they could keep going. And so we thank you for um, walking with them and, and supporting them. I pray that you would encourage them and lift up their heads and uh, remind them that all is not lost, all is never lost in Jesus. For those who are hurting and, and grieving, maybe they haven't been able to see their kids, maybe Uh, They've lost their moms, uh, either this year or previously. Uh, We know that you are hurting with them, Lord, and uh, you are compassionate and and gracious, and you genuinely care and empathize with their pain. I pray that they would 
uh, remember that. I pray that um, they remember that Jesus is, is gentle and lowly, and uh, he wants the hurting people to rest in him, even right now. And I pray that they would do that. I pray over the reading of your word that this last message in our James series would bless those who hear it, and it would lead to transformation, and as we'll see, restoration as well. May your spirit work in power among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our scripture passage this morning is from James 5, verses 19 and 20. This is the last message in our James series. I always get a little emotional at the end of a sermon series because I, I kind of get attached to them, you know. Uh, so may the Lord bless this, this last message. James 5, 19 through 20. Um, I'll read these two verses and we'll go right into the message Next week, we start a series in Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you want to read ahead, you can get into Ezra and Nehemiah. All right, 19, verse 19 of James chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's word. Well, you've probably seen the stickers or the merchandise that say, not all those who wander are lost. Often this phrase is festooned with wildflowers or maybe there's a mountainous landscape in the background. It's clearly a celebration of the great outdoors. I got to say, though, it's always felt a bit defensive to me even a sign of insecurity. I mean, just go ahead and go on your hike. We're all very supportive. In Colorado, you're supposed to put the sticker in the top right corner, I think, of the rear windshield of your Toyota Tacoma. I think that's how it works. But hikers didn't even invent this phrase. It's not even their phrase. They actually borrowed it from the Lord of the Rings, and the phrase makes a lot of sense if you know the context of J.R. Tolkien's trilogy. Wandering can be purposeful and meaningful, as it certainly was for Frodo Baggins and his allies. And there are biblical examples of this as well. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but it wasn't aimless. God prescribed and even mapped out their wandering so he could accomplish a major spiritual reset among his people. However, there is nothing romantic or really even meaningful about the kind of wandering we're talking about this morning. These wanderers are very lost and therefore in great personal danger and possibly a danger to others as well. They went on a mountainous hike, but at some point they veered off the trail and they don't see the ice patch that's about to sweep them over the cliff. They're loving the panoramic views, which will turn out to be their last views unless someone intervenes and brings them back to safety. I know that's pretty dark. I know the phrase, some who wander are lost, makes a very bad sticker. It makes a very bad trucker hat. But we need to deal with the darkness for the sake of rescuing wanderers and fortifying the church and glorifying God. Two reflections this morning as we wrestle with this wandering that James is warning us about. Number one, wandering is a crisis. This kind of wandering is a crisis. And then number two, intervention is loving. So the kind of wandering that James is talking about, that's a crisis. And then number two, intervention is very much loving. Let's start with that first reflection. Wandering is a crisis. Let's look at verses 19 and 20 again. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. When we first read these verses, they might feel rather stodgy and even authoritarian, kind of out of touch with the unbounded spirit of our age where everyone should be free to do whatever they want, to find themselves. But hold on a minute. We need to talk about that. 
On one hand, we live in a cultural moment in which wandering is definitely glorified. When people pull the emergency brake on their status quo in order to go off and find themselves, we celebrate their boldness. They become de facto heroes, even if their actions are rather self-interested and potentially cause harm to other people. And this is part of the individualism of our age. Authentic self-expression becomes the highest moral value and therefore justifies just about any road you travel to get there. On the other hand, we instinctively get less excited about this wandering when people wander away from what we believe is true and right. So wandering is actually somewhat performative. There's pressure. We love wandering and deconstruction and disruption as long as the wanderers are making their way toward our ideological camp. But when people wander away from what we believe is true, we tend to get upset and we try to change their minds because we believe they're hurting themselves and potentially other people. And if we can't change their minds, then we often distance ourselves from them and even cancel them. For example, the successful set engineer, set designer, I guess you would say, Beckett Cook, recently wrote about his experiences in Hollywood after becoming a Christian. A few months after his conversion, he decided that biblical faithfulness meant abandoning his gay lifestyle and becoming celibate. And to put it mildly, this decision was not received well by most of his colleagues. They believed that he was harming himself and potentially other people by suppressing his sexual urges. So they let him know about it, and they tried to change his mind, and they eventually ostracized him. In their eyes, he was wandering, but in this case, there was no celebration. He wasn't a hero. And recently I've heard politically conservative podcasters criticize fellow conservatives for wandering politically and losing their edge. Again, these, these fellow conservatives are trying to find themselves politically, which makes sense after a very fraught political year, but many of their colleagues are not celebrating because they believe these folks are wandering from true conservatism. So the bottom line here is we actually do believe that some wandering people are lost. And actually, we do tend to stand in the way of what we believe to be dangerous wandering. So the truly spicy part of James's exhortation isn't his plea for intervention. It's his understanding of the truth. That's the rub. And what is the truth that these Christian brothers and sisters, these professed Christian brothers and sisters, are potentially wandering from? What is that truth? The truth in verse 19 refers to everything that James has previously discussed and summarized in this letter. The truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord. See James chapter 1. The second person of the triune Godhead. And as we follow Jesus, we should expect various trials, but God will help us endure these trials and use them to shape us spiritually and give us wisdom from above when we ask for it. The truth is that truly genuine, repentant faith will show up in our actions, especially our speech, and that, conversely, friendship with the world and oppressive self-interest are dead ends, regardless of what we say we believe about Jesus. The truth is that as we walk with Jesus, we are entirely dependent upon Him and subject to the Father's will, and 
And even when that will involves suffering, and it will sometimes, we are patient and prayerful, knowing that God is compassionate and merciful and just. That is the truth that James is talking about here in verse 19. These are the themes we've been working through this entire spring. And listen, I realize that that not all of you would agree that this is the truth. Not all of you would even say that you're followers of Jesus. And if that's the case, realize that this is really your point of disagreement with James. Not the intervention part. Because, one more time, we all believe, every one of us believes in truths that we think merit intervention when those we love and know are strained from them. So, you know, we talk this, this really big game about wandering. We all love to believe that we're laid back and that we're really open-minded. And yet we all have our limits. The question is simply what they are. But if this stuff in James is the truth, and here at City Church we certainly believe that it is, and I'd, I'd love to tell you about the reasons why we believe that, if this stuff in James is the truth, then watching a fellow professing follower of Jesus wander from the truth is devastating. It's a crisis. Because if, if this is the truth, with a capital T, then wandering from it means wandering straight into falsehood. Not into an alternative truth, not into your own truth, as if that's even a thing. It means wandering straight into falsehood, into a lie. Some of the uh, effects of this wandering are earthly and more immediate, living in falsehood that is apart from God's will and, and design for your life. It will actively work against your well-being and your flourishing, and by the way, the well-being and flourishing of other people. But the eternal effects of this wandering are even worse. When we reverse engineer the logic of of verse 20, we find that wandering people are putting their souls at risk of death on account of their multitudinous sins. This is a spiritual death along the lines of what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 6.23 when he warns us that the wages of sin is death. Wandering from the truth means cherishing our sin instead of repenting and receiving forgiveness from God. And unless someone brings us back, that kind of unrepentant sin, which is ultimately not addressed or or covered by the blood of Jesus, that sin will lead to death. We will be eternally separated from God, unable to behold the beauty and the glory of His face, unable to work and worship with the saints and the new heaven and earth. This is a crisis. Now at this point we might raise a couple of objections. Number one, what about people like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? Don't some people have to wander a bit to figure things out? And won't God take them back when they return? Yes, for some people, wandering is a part of their story. And if they return, God will indeed take them back. God's mercy and grace are more than sufficient for the task. But here's the thing. You would much rather avoid the wander in the first place. Because every day you live with Jesus is infinitely better than a day lived without Jesus. No matter how adventurous the wandering might seem. Plus, i got to tell you this, there's really nothing courageous about this wandering church. Because there's nothing courageous about cherishing 
your sin. It, it might feel bold, it might feel adventurous, but it's really not. You want to know what courage really is? Here's what courage really is. Here's what bravery really is. It's faithfully following Jesus for 65 years, being radically other-interested along the way. It's emulating people like Robert McQuilkin, who left a very prestigious job at Columbia Bible College. He was the president. He left his job eight years short of retirement to care for his ailing wife. This is true God-exalting courage right here. This kind of faithfulness. It might seem boring, it might seem ordinary in our eyes, but in God's eyes, it's like summoning Everest. Anyone know the first part of that J.R. Tolkien poem from Lord of the Rings that I referred to earlier? I didn't mention it then, but I'll mention it now. Here's how it starts. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. Courageous faithfulness is gold that doesn't often glitter. One more reason why you'd rather not wander in the first place. Not all prodigals return. Again, wandering, it's dangerous. In some ways, it's like playing with matches. Things work out fine for some people, but not for others. So let's not set down our faith so we can have a little fun and express ourselves and assume that we'll come back. Because some people don't. Which brings us to the second objection. What do we make of our you know, spiritual brothers and sisters who wander and fall away? I watched this happen to one of my very closest college friends. I know some of you have experienced this as well. It's incredibly painful and disorienting. And it makes us wonder, were they really walking with Jesus in the first place? For a number of biblical reasons, I think it's most likely that these folks were genuinely interested in Jesus and enjoyed something about Christian fellowship, but never really gave Jesus the keys to the car. Faithful Christians have different views on that, though, and I'm happy to chat with any of you about this in more detail. One more thing before we move on and start talking about the beauty of bringing other people back from this crisis. In humility, we need to pause and we need to ask ourselves, are we wandering from the truth? For a moment, let's forget about other people. And let's just ask ourselves, are we wandering from the truth? It is really easy to read this passage and quickly think about those other people who are really struggling. You know, they, they're the ones that are backsliding. But how are we doing? That's an equally important consideration, is it not? Does the fruit of our lives suggest that we're walking with Jesus? Or does it suggest that we're wandering off the trail? Are we fascinated with Jesus? Or are we more fascinated with the things of this world? I am punch positive that at least some of us need a serious spiritual reset especially given the challenges of this past year and the way our fatigue and our pain, they tempt us to use earthly treasures to medicate our discouragement. And if, if that might describe you, perhaps the Lord intends to use this passage right now to redirect you away from danger. And you know what? Here's the thing, when you do return, and when you do repent, forgiveness is yours in Jesus, no, about, no doubt about it, return and know that you will be refreshed in Jesus, you will receive forgiveness, and you will experience rest. But what about those other people who are wandering? How should we respond? And that's really the focus of this text, and it brings us to our second reflection. Intervention is loving. 
intervention is loving. Let's look at verses 19 and 20 one more time. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, the loving thing is to let them be. The thing to do is to give them lots of space, remembering that God is love and there's ultimately nothing to worry about. Everything will work out just fine. Wait a minute. That is not what the text says. That is not what it says. Although that's how we might like to rewrite this passage, uh, given the spirit of our age. But here's what the text actually says. Here's what it really says. My brothers, if, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If that feels uncomfortable, if that feels uncomfortable, remember, as we talked about earlier, this is actually not because we always believe corrective actions like these are intrusive. We're perfectly happy to be intrusive, when we sense that people are in real danger to themselves or in real danger to somebody else. So if this feels uncomfortable, if it feels like too much, if it feels like an overreach, it means one of two things. Number one, it means that we're iffy about the truth. And therefore, we're really not sure how big a deal it is if people want it. Maybe they're walking towards the edge of a cliff. Maybe they're not walking towards the edge of a cliff. We're really not sure, and that diminishes our zeal to intervene. Or it could mean number two. It could mean that we don't see how we can bring people back in a loving way because we've never seen it modeled well. Instead, we've seen or heard about churches shaming people publicly for their sins. Some of us have even been on the receiving end of this kind of behavior. Or perhaps our friends have ostracized us in seasons of spiritual wandering rather than ministering to us with loving grace. And notice that both of these issues here have to do with love. In the first case, we're not convinced that it is loving to bring somebody back. And in the second case, we're not convinced that there's a loving way to bring people back, even if we think the cause is righteous. Since at City Church, we do have firm convictions about the truth that James has communicated in this letter and are therefore convinced that it is loving to bring people back. I'm going to focus on the second issue that I raised there. How might we do this well? If we think that it is loving to bring people back, how do we do this well? How do we bring the wandering brother or sister back with the right balance of truth and love? I'm going to mention... Four principles, four principles I think can, can guide us as we seek to reach and restore the wandering brother or sister. Number one, principle number one is humility. At all times, we are keenly aware of our own helpless, helpless and hopeless estates apart from God. If we're going to try to restore the wandering brother and bring him back, at all times, we have to be keenly aware of our own hopeless estate apart from God. We are aware of that, but by the grace of God, we would never have become children of God in the first place, and we're aware that apart from that same grace of God, we would never remain in God's family either. We would all be wanderers. This awareness produces a gospel-rooted humility that is a mandatory requirement for those who would participate in the kind of intervention that James is talking about. We can't even get started with this unless we are dripping with gospel-based humility. God can and does use humble people to miraculously bring back wanderers. Emphasis on the humble people and emphasis on use. We don't have the power to bring anybody back, but God can. And he can use us, especially the humble people. But when spiritually arrogant people take it upon themselves to bring people back, that is a guaranteed disaster. People not experiencing the grace of God will not show grace to other people. Instead, they will swing the big stick. They will shame people. Referring back to James chapter 3, they will gossip 
and slander under the guise of spiritual reclamation. So that's the first principle, humility. If we want to be a part of the kind of intervention that James is calling us to as faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to be dripping in humility. Number two, principle number two is prayer. Since the power for spiritual reclamation is ultimately the Lord's, bringing people back is going to be a prayerful enterprise every single time. In fact, that's the real work. We have, we must ask God to work in great power in the heart of the wonder. Otherwise, we have no chance. And we must ask for wisdom concerning how we should personally approach the wonder. Otherwise, we will certainly do it in an imbalanced way, selfishly, you name it. Principle number three. If we want to be a part of the kind of intervention that James is talking about, boy, we're going to need Jesus. And one of the things we're going to need is insight into the way that that Jesus himself cared for his sheep. Who's the greatest example of spiritual shepherding? Seen in large part in the way that he pursues lost sheep. Jesus is. So if we're looking for the right balance of truth and grace, looking at Jesus would be an excellent place to start. John 10 will be a very helpful guide, as will Matthew 18 and In Luke chapter 15, in John 10, we see Jesus, the good shepherd, boldly leading the sheep to truth. But along the way, he makes it clear that he loves the sheep so much that he's willing to lay down his life for them. Intense boldness goes hand in hand with intense sacrificial love. In Matthew 18 and Luke 15, we see a similar balance of zeal and self-sacrifice. God is like, the shepherd who leaves the other 99 sheep behind to go after the one who is lost. So if we're going to be a part of this intervention, we're going to need humility, we're going to need prayer, we're going to need to learn at the feet of Jesus, see how he does it. And finally, number four. Eventually we do need to take action. Eventually we do need to step out. Eventually, we do have to say something, keeping, of course, the first three principles in mind. Consider that in writing this very letter, this, this letter of James that we've been studying for the entire spring, this was James taking action. That's what he was doing. He was writing to primarily Jewish Christians, but there's clear evidence in this letter that he was concerned Some of them were wandering. And so he took action. He even said some very hard things. But everything in this letter is also bathed in pastoral love and concern. This has been such a challenging year, hasn't it? You know, spiritually speaking, Some of us have done relatively well. Maybe we've even grown. I've heard stories about that, and praise God. But others have really struggled in our church and beyond. Perhaps they've become spiritually depressed. Perhaps now they're seriously doubting or even denying their faith. I know a lot of people have expressed concerns in the past year about reconciling a loving God with the amount of suffering they've been experiencing. If you know people in these kinds of places who are wandering a little bit, maybe a lot bit, they could really use your help right now. They could really use your help right now. It really would be loving for you to intervene, full of grace and truth, even if it means making significant sacrifices of your time and energy. I grew up playing tennis, so I'll put it like this. You know, your Wednesday night tennis league 
will have to play a man or a woman down if your friend is wandering, and that's when they can meet. <laughs> Ditto your weekend volleyball league, or whatever. We hold things like those loosely, certainly more loosely than those who don't know Jesus, for the sake of bringing back a wandering brother. And listen, I know some of this will be awkward, it will be uncomfortable, especially when wanderers or close friends or even family members. But the Lord will be with you. He will sustain you and empower you for the faithfulness He's called you to. I'll end with this consideration. Rejoice! Not all those who wander are eternally lost. Some will return. Your energy and your effort will not be in vain. God will use it. Amen. Well, every week at City Church, we participate in the Lord's table together. It's an opportunity to remember Christ crucified for us and raised, and to remember that Christ is with us till the very end of the age. We also believe that the Spirit of God works in this communion, in this communion meal in a very real way, with real power, to nourish us spiritually, to change and affect our hearts. And so I expect and hope that that's exactly what will happen as we participate in this meal. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, and during the meal he broke the bread. And as he did so, he said, This is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, he took the cup. As he poured it, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. I recognize that you're going to be watching this or listening to this digitally. Um, you, you might be by yourself. You might be with a couple other people. I'll just say, in normal circumstances, when we are gathered as the people of God all together, one of the things that communion does is it offers these very visceral gospel reminders that actually can, it not only nourishes you, but it actually can reorient people who are wandering. They get to watch you come and take this meal. It can have a profound effect on people who are struggling spiritually. And that's actually one reason why gathering corporately is so important, even when we don't feel like it. You never know who else you're serving or blessing as you come and take. If you're a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. Um, Take whatever you have that's closest to the bread and the cup. Eat and drink and be nourished and remember. If you're watching and you wouldn't say that you follow Jesus, we're really glad that you're watching or listening. We would love to talk to you. Instead of taking this meal that you wouldn't say that you believe in at this time, just reflect on what we've been talking about. If you're wondering, maybe this would be the time that you come back to Jesus and repent and even participate in communion. I'm going to pray for us, and then you can eat and drink, and then there will be some more music. Let me pray. Lord, we do praise your name for this time that you've given us to reflect. Thank you that this communion meal does so many things. It nourishes us. It, it gives us a, a really perfect space to repent of our sin and bring things to you that are uncomfortable so that we might freshly enjoy the grace of God in Christ. And we thank you that this is a, a, an opportunity, especially under nor normal circumstances, to show um, Jesus to people maybe who are wandering and hurting, who are here and who are struggling. And I pray particularly for them as I close, Lord. Would you bring them back? Would you send people in our church family to bring them back, to restore them? We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
of this world will fade treasures of our God remain here I empty myself to owe this world nothing and find everything in you the riches of this world the treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to owe this world nothing and find everything in
but yours be done, not my strength, but yours alone, nothing else, but you, oh Lord, I find everything in you, sing that again, not my will, not my will, but yours be strength but yours alone nothing else but you oh Lord I find everything in you I surrender I surrender I surrender benediction for us as we close our service. Listen to this word from Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Amen. Amen. Go in peace.